It is always good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be with God's people. Good to worship God. Isn't it refreshing in the middle of the week how we can just come together and worship God, have a time of praise. It's just so refreshing. The spirit is refreshed. So good. And, um, and we get to learn His Word. And tonight we're going to finish First Timothy. Uh, and next week we will begin Second Timothy chapter 1. So I'm going to get through the rest of chapter 6 tonight. Some interesting subjects. Um, you know, Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy, are real nuts and bolts type books. They're practical. They deal with problems that churches have. Uh, and so, you know, Somebody said, you know, we had a whole lot more people when you were studying, when we were studying the book of Revelation. Yeah, that's true. Now, that's an exciting book. Everybody's just wanting to know about the book of Revelation. But um, Jesus is going to come whenever he's going to come. But this will help us <laughs> to know how we're supposed to live and when he does come. And uh, all these epistles uh, that Paul wrote uh, to the churches are excellent and they're good for us. Probably go to Titus after we finish Second Timothy. I'm not sure where we'll go after that. We may go jump back into the Old Testament. I'm not sure. But we're going to finish Second uh, Timothy and Titus and then we'll decide where we're going. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom tonight. Lord, we just come to you in the precious name of Jesus, powerful name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in our midst. We just love you and bless you and honor you tonight. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege and honor of preaching your word. I ask for your help, your anointing, your wisdom, and, Lord, give insight into your word so that we can live the gospel, so that we can let you live in us. And, Lord, thank you that you gave us these books. Thank you that you gave us the New Testament and that it was written down and it was preserved and given to us so that we would have understanding what church and life and relationships within the church are supposed to be like. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to let your life live in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So you see, my wife is not here tonight. I always feel a little like my other part is not with me. She had uh, she had chemotherapy this week, and uh, she gets it on Monday and Tuesday, and then she got a, some kind of shot. I don't know what kind it is on today, but whenever the weeks that she gets that chemotherapy, she feels wiped out. So time came to decide whether she's coming to church tonight. She said, I feel like a truck is parked on top of me, <laughs> a big truck. And she said, I just cannot make it. I said, it's okay, sweetie. But usually by Friday of that week, she feels good. You know, Friday or Saturday, she feels pretty good. So thank God she has not gotten sick, has not lost her hair. She just feels really tired, uh, worn out during that week when she does get it. So this is our third um, session of chemo, and they have one more scheduled. And uh, the doctor believes that it's doing it's what's supposed to be doing. She gets a PET scan April the 6th, 
to determine that, but uh, we're hoping and believing four is going to be it. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, let's read through verse 6 down to 21 of First Timothy, chapter 6, and then we'll try and glean some of the things in there that I think that are important uh, that we need to understand. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. You probably know many people who have done that. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. It's interesting how he's going. First he says run from them. Now pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Jesus Christ who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone can never die. He lives in light so brilliant that no human man, no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. I know it sounds like he's wrapped it up, but he had another thought. And he does this a couple of times. He sounds like he's just about to finish, but then he thinks, oh, no, I got a little bit more I need to say. And so this is his P.S. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud or to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. How many of you would agree with that, that money's pretty unreliable? It really is. Boy, it can be gone in a hurry. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need, always being ready to share with others. So these are all instructions. If you do have good wealth, then you ought to use that wisely to help others and be a blessing to others. Verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future that they may experience 
true life. Timothy, last thought. (laughs) Again, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. You know, about the time you finish a letter um, and you seal it up and you mail it, then you think of everything you wish you would have said. And you almost want to unseal it and add a little bit more. And, of course, you know, mail today, you know, we got emails and texts and all kinds of stuff. Then, you know, when they mailed a letter, they didn't have a U.S. post office. They had to give it to a courier, trusted friend, who would, and, and that had to be written out in longhand. And then they would take that and they would go and deliver that hand face-to-face with who it was designed for. So letters were precious. They were valued. They were kept. And thank God, so many of these letters were kept and preserved and finally developed uh, into canon, which means that there was sufficient copies of those letters that were kept and translated and preserved. There were so many of those that they met the criteria to be canon, which means they believe that that would be God-inspired word, which is the translation of canon. God-inspired words. And so they came to determine that if God felt so strongly that he would preserve a certain amount of copies of certain letters, that that would be God's way of saying, I want this one to be kept. And some, I'm sure there were many letters, many writings that didn't match that. But then they believed that if God really wanted it to be kept and shared and passed around, then he would have made sure there was the preservation of sufficient amount of copies. And that applied both to Old and to New Testament. And that's how we really got our 66 books in the Bible, is that there were so many copies and there are so many more copies uh, authenticating God's Word than any other historical writings, by far. Uh, the Iliad, uh, for instance, had only 47 copies. The New Testament, over 5,500 copies of each of the books in the New Testament. So you can see the, the proof, the context is so much higher for the Bible. And that's why when people scoff at the New Testament, they have no idea how unique uh, a a piece of literature it really is. There's nothing like it in all of history. Uh, And that's because God preserved it. So let's look at a couple of things uh, that we looked at. And I tried to go through these passages and say, okay, Lord, what are the things that you want us to look at? What are the things we need to uh, talk about and discuss and how do we how we glean from what you want to say and 
And the very first thing that it's pretty obvious that the first part is he's talking about materialism. He's talking about the love of money. He's talking about things. Um, and so the question I have for you, and that is, why do people tend to uh, look to materialism for satisfaction rather than God? Anybody have an answer for that? Yes, Don, why do you think? Okay, instant gratification. Okay, all right. God is invisible, not tangible, not something we can see, feel, taste, touch, or smell. We believe by faith, but things, material things, are things that we can touch. And so we tend to go after those because the others, you know, belief in God is kind of an not tangible, um, as real, but still not as tangible. Any other reason why you think people tend to go for materialism? They get hooked uh, into it. And it really is a trap. It's, it's just a mention. Yes, Joyce? Was that? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Somebody else had their hand up. Yes, Penny? Okay, yeah, it does fill a need. You know, there are material things that we need, food, clothing, things like that. Yes, oh, ba- yeah, brother, hey, Bernard. Okay. Who was the first advertiser? <laughs> Satan. See this tree and this fruit. Look at it and see. Doesn't this look like the finest fruit you have ever seen? I've got a special on this. He was the first advertiser. And the very first thing he used was. And how does advertising work today? And if you've ever been through any kind of sales uh, of merchandise or you've been trained how to sell things, they'll tell you, get their eyes to look at the most expensive item. Because if you can get your emotions attached to the most expensive item, then they'll do whatever they have to do to get that item. It's all wrapped up in the eyes. First it goes from the eyes and it sinks down into the heart. And then you want to make do. You want to finance whatever you have to do to get. And, And this is exactly right. Advertisement today of all kinds is focused on trying to convince you you have to have all these things. So, yeah, the, the, the push of advertisement is probably another reason 
why people give in to that. What do you think, Gloria? Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and now it shouldn't be that way. We we shouldn't be judged based on what we own, what you drive, what you live in. You shouldn't be judged on what you wear, but that's what should be. What really is is that unfortunately a lot of people do judge people by those things, and it, you know it really shouldn't be that way, but. You know, we fall prey to worrying about what they think about what you drive and wear and have and see. So we have to learn to be immune to that pull. And really, isn't that what he's trying to say? He's trying to say, Timothy... There, there, there's a lot of people who, who are in love with money. And the love of money is going to get you into trouble. All kinds of trouble. And that materialism that comes with wanting more and more and more and more. You know, I, I thought of the dangers of materialism. Four things I can think of. Number one, moral values become distorted. Second thing, things become more important than people. Third thing, relationships become devalued. And then the last thing, it becomes a never-ending cycle of never enough. And that's what makes materialism so dangerous. Um, How many dads spent more time in their work to earn more money than they should have and didn't spend as much time with their children because they wanted to buy their children things when their children really would rather have dad. They would rather have quality time than they would the things that they buy. Now, some things are necessary, that's true. But sometimes we have to put the value of what's really important. If you don't watch it, things become more important than people. That's a dangerous thing. Um, so kind of follow up to that. The second thing, what, what is, what's the sin behind the love of money? What is the sin behind the love of money? Ed? Idolatry? Possible. But got another answer? Greed. I, you know, I, you know, you could go with either one of those. Uh, but I, I'm going to lean toward greed because greed, it's almost like a disease. It's, it's, the, it's an overt desire for more and more and more, and it'll cause you to override your moral values. It'll cause you to push people aside because you always want more and more and more, and there's that greed that comes up in there. So if, if greed um, is, is that thing that con- can consume us, how can we battle? How can we counter it? How can we avoid it? How can we stop greed from its tentacles? Anybody want to? Give me a, again, Renard, what do you think? Thankful for what we have, yes. 
That's the same thing you had, huh? And, and really, that's what Paul said. He said, contentment. That's the real, that's the real key. To be content, whatever you have. You've got a lot, be content. You've got a little, be content. Freddie? Yeah, so understanding the true ownership, and we're really not owners, we're just stewards. I want you to think about this. I read this figure today. If you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of the richest people in the world. You realize that? That just shows you how poor so many people are across the world. $25,000. You're in the top 10% of the whole world as far as wealth. And unfortunately, over 95% don't make $10,000 a year as we used to call it, dirt poor. (laughs) And I think dirt poor probably came from maybe your floors were made out of dirt, (laughs) you know. And I don't know, you know, I I grew up poor. Um, But at the time I was growing up, I didn't realize I was poor. You really, you know, nobody walked up to me and said, "Do, do you know you're poor? Now, now... From this side, I realized I was. We were. We had five kids. My daddy made $50 a week uh, as a mechanic. Uh, and we we didn't have meat, but uh, usually, sometimes we had it once a week, but usually it was every other week we had meat for, for dinner. Um, but, hey, I, I managed to get healthy and fat. And, and all of us kids ate fine, and we worked hard, uh, and we were happy. And, you know, we passed down. How many of you got your passed downs of your older brother or your older sister? You know what that's like? You, you don't ever get any new clothes. You know, I didn't know what new clothes were, you know. You just patch up the old ones and make do, you know. But I want to tell you, we were happy, and, and, and the thing of it is, and I think you probably hit it, and that is, number one, be content with what you have. But hand in hand with that is stop comparing yourself to somebody else. It's the comparison that gets you. When you start thinking about the other people and what they have. Then all of a sudden you start thinking, you know, everybody's got one of those new iPhones. And your iPhone might work just fine. But when you start seeing that everybody else has a newer one, and there's this thing that starts rising up on the inside, says, boy, I've got to have one of those new ones. Is your old one fine? Yeah, it's fine. 
Oh, I sure would like to have one of them new ones, though. Something about comparing ourselves with what somebody else has. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, and I don't mean to, and I'm, I'm not trying to say we have, we have to live dirt poor or we have to never can have a new iPhone. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the trap is the love of money. The trap is the greed. The trap is the, the overemphasis in it. I believe God likes to bless us. I believe God likes to prosper us. And I thank God that he puts his blessings, financial blessings on some people because those people are used by God to be a blessing for other people. And we need people who are doing well I'm kicking my water all over the place, excuse me. We need people who are doing well to give everybody else jobs. I've never known a poor man to give anybody a job. So I'm not downing having wealth. It's not a bad thing. But what Paul is talking about, and you have to remember the context. The context were false teachers who are teaching and focusing on everything is about money. And in the last passage, remember, right before verse 5, they were teaching that they were using the gospel as a means to get money. They were using the principles of the scriptures to gain money, supposing that godliness and wealth were the same thing. And so he's trying to counter that. And so he's not saying money is bad or having wealth is bad. Just don't fall in love with it. Don't crave it. Don't think it's more important than people. And if you find yourself one of those that you are blessed, use it wisely. Take care of your family and learn to be a blessing to others. Bless others. Be attentive to the needs of other people. Keep your eyes open. You know, one time there was this lady and and she was in church and she noticed at the altar a lady, um, she was kneeling at the altar. And the lady looked and the lady didn't have good shoes on. Matter of fact, there were holes in her shoes. And she thought, somebody needs to help that lady. So she went to the pastor. And she said, Pastor, somebody needs to help that lady. She has holes in her shoes. And the pastor said, well, who did the Lord show that to? <laughs> who did God reveal this need to? Well, well, uh, well, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, I guess me. Well, then guess what? <laughs> you must be the person that God wants to use to bless this lady with some shoes. Why don't you ask her, go ask her what size she needs. Sometimes we see needs and we want someone else to meet those needs. Be available to be the person that God will use. Now.
Truth is, sometimes you can't meet people's needs. Sometimes you don't have the finances to do everything you'd love to do. But as God blesses you, and as God does that, be available for God to use you to bless those. And I tell you, you'll have a contentment in your heart, and you won't have to fight this love of money. I want you to look at verse 9 again. It says, but people who long to be rich, interesting, it says fall into temptation. I don't think you use that word by chance. Fall into temptation and are trapped. There's a similar word there. They fall into it and that they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So Paul paints the picture that... This this was not just happenstance. There was a trap that was set. Okay? Who's the one who sets the trap for us to fall into the love of money? Our adversary, Satan. So I want you to give me an example. Give me a practical example of how Satan sets us up for this trap. To fall into this love of money. Think about it. Okay? So he puts those wrong desires in your mind. All right? That's one way. Yes? Looks better on the other side. Okay? All right? So he will act, the devil will actually show you and make sure you notice what someone else has that's different from what you have. And he'll point it out to you. And then there's that discontentment that rises up. So how, how does, how anybody else, how does the devil set us up? It, remember, it uses the word fall, and it says it's a trap. So if Satan, and, and the reason I'm saying this is that if Satan is out there trying to trap us, and if he's out there trying to get us to fall into this snare of loving money, then we need to be aware of what these snares are so we can fight against those. We can be aware of them. We can maybe avoid some of those snares. Anybody else? Yes, Renee, what do you think? Yeah, it's it's the the get rich quick and it's the get rich without having to do anything for it. I think that's a trap of the enemy. He dangles that in front of you. uh, And he get, you know, someone said, well, I don't see anything in the Bible that says there's anything wrong with gambling. It may not mention the word gambling, but I guarantee you. The Bible does teach that we're to work for what we get. That the principle of hard work and steady and slow hard work and saving and being a good steward of your money, that is God's way of blessing His people. And there is no example of get it rich quick, which is the essence 
behind the gambling. And so even though the Bible may not mention it, I think you sometimes you have to look at the principle that's involved here. And the principle is that really gambling is the dead-end street. And it, again, it has the potential of sucking you in, and especially if you have an addictive personality, then it's now, it's more than just gambling. Now it becomes an addiction because you can become just as addicted to gambling as you can anything else. It's just, it sucks you in, pulls you into a web, a spider web of having to make that next score. I've got to put another bet because I'm going to hit it big this time and I'm going to get out of this problem. But then you just get further and further and further into debt, further into a problem. So, yeah, that's kind of what I was looking for, those kind of examples, what the devil uses to suck us into that love of money. And it, like he says, he said, causes all kinds of people to fall. Bill? Okay. Excessive debt. Credit cards. You know, it's it's a, and and here again, I'm, I'm just trying to kind of put a balance to it. Having a credit card is not a bad thing. But it is an easy trap to start putting everything on credit. And before you know it, you're hooked. Diane? Yeah? Right? Yeah? Yeah, the, I think people who, who don't care about debt, they just care about the interest they're going to get out of your debt. They want you to live in debt based upon your, stand, based upon your level of income. And if you make X amount of dollars, then they want you paying out that amount of money in your credit card fees and loans and all, everything else. But the truth of it is you should live far under your income. And that allows you to tithe. It allows you to save, put some aside an investment for the future. It allows you to be able to bless other people. Uh, It allows you to be involved in God's kingdom and doing all kinds of things that the Holy Spirit would allow you to do. But if you're in debt up here, you can't do anything extra. You know, if we were, if our church were in debt, like so many churches have been, we couldn't do a lot of the things that we're able to do as far as helping missionaries and give, you know, take a first of the month offering and and be be able to be a blessing to all the people and, and help the APOR and all the other ministries that we're able to help. We couldn't do that. Because whether it's a church or an individual or a business, if you're so strapped in debt, then you really can't hear God. And you can't respond to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. So again, I think the trap is excessive debt. He uses that. Um, 
Let me, let me keep going here. A couple of verses I want us to look at um, to kind of go along with this. First Timothy 6, 9. Um, okay, I'm sorry, we read that. Uh, Matthew 6, 21 uh, says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides the light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy... Your whole body is filled with darkness, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? Notice that it started in verse 21 about talking about your treasure and your heart, the desires of your heart, and it went immediately to your eyes. See the connection there? This started out your heart and your treasure But then it started immediately saying when your eyes are right, when you're looking at the right thing. But if you're always looking at the wrong thing, again, comparing yourselves, wanting more things, then your heart is going to be full of darkness and you're always going to be wanting more. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other. You'll be devoted one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Matthew 13, 22, very similar. The end of this parable Jesus gave the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Have that love of money, hunger for things, and no fruit is produced. Then the story in Luke twelve sixteen through 21, and he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to him, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barn, build bigger ones, and I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. Now I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you're going to die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. If you find yourself in a place where you don't have enough room for all your wealth, that's a good sign to start giving it away. (laughs) Don't build bigger barns. Start being generous and giving it and being a blessing. Fourth question I want us to look at is is found in verse 12. Let's look at verse 12 first of all. Fight the good fight of true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you, to which you've been declared so well before many witnesses. So... If he says we're fighting a fight, who are we fighting against? If you're in a fight, it's always good to know who you're in the fight with. And who are you fighting against? Who do you think? Your own flesh, and who else? Satan himself. So you are in a battle. Now, I had a person one time say, you know, hold it. What do you mean we're fighting against the devil? Jesus defeated him at the cross. That's true. Jesus defeated the enemy at the cross. But he's still here. And he is still deceiving. And he is still lying. And he is still cheating. And he is still stealing. And he is still doing everything he can to hinder the work of the gospel. And our job is to learn how to stand against him and use the name of Jesus to stop his work and stop what he wants to do. So to say that, oh, the devil's been defeated at the cross, so I don't have to worry about him, that's, that's not valid because he's here. 
You know, it is going to be a problem until Jesus comes and he deals with the enemy once and for all and throws them into the lake of fire. Then you won't have to deal with him anymore. Until then, Satan and all of his demons are a problem. And the other thing that Nadine said, our own flesh. We fight against our own flesh. We fight against those desires and the flesh and our thoughts and our ideas. Uh, it is a problem. First Timothy 1, just a couple of verses that talk about the fight we're in. First Timothy 1, 18. It started in the early when we started out in First Timothy. He says in verse 18, Timothy, my son, hear my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. So he warned us, you're going to be in those battles. Hebrews 12, 4. He says, after all, you have not given in, given your lives in your struggle against sin. So there's a struggle. There's a fight. First Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your soul. And that's that flesh. That's that soulish realm. The soulish realm is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so there is a war going on with your emotions and your mind and your thoughts. And so we're fighting, and, you, and, you, and in another way, you may say, well, hold it, this is not fair. You know, we're f- having to fight against the enemy who's trying to hinder us, and we're having to fight our flesh. Well, welcome to the club. That's just the way it is. <laughs> I'd like, when, when you die and go to be with the Lord, you won't have any more of these battles. But until then, we are in that battle. And so we might as well not say, oh, I wish we didn't have this battle, because it's, it's real. So, stand against the enemy. Be willing to stand against the enemy. And you have to be willing to stand against that flesh. And we're going to be talking about that some of that this Sunday. Last scripture I want us to look at under this point, and that is Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12. It says, in a final word, be strong in the Lord and the mighty in his mighty power put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against ruler evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there's no doubt we are in a battle. Anybody Want to give us word how, first of all, you could, the best way to fight against that old flesh nature? Yes, Ms. Karen? Get on your knees, pray. Lots of prayer. Charlotte? Read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. There's amazing power in the Word of God. Nadine? Get good counsel. And listen to it when you get it. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Right. And, And don't think you know it all. You know, the person who thinks they know it all, they're in trouble. Truth of it is, none of us 
me included. We don't know it all. We don't have it all. We don't have all the answers, but we're looking for them, and we're, we find so many of the answers that we need in the Word of God. So, yes, humble, humility. Chuck. Okay, I like that. Laying aside every weight that doth so easily beset us. If you've got sins, hidden sins, old sins, old habits, lay those down because they're only going to hinder you in your walk and in your race and in your fight against the enemy. I agree with that. Yes, Teresa? Okay. So important. We cannot do it in our strength. That's why it says not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to fight the good fight for against the enemy and the flesh... First, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things she mentioned, be able to, not only just be filled, empowered, the Holy Spirit to come upon us, praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you, uh, and, and, and allow Him to speak through you, and dep- learn to depend upon His strength and His power and not your own. And so many times the key is, Holy Spirit, I need help. (laughs) You know, just as simple as that. Help! I cannot do it. Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Let's say you're fighting a temptation that has constantly harassed you. Just a, a, a temptation that just, you know, you struggle with all your life. When you feel or think that temptation coming on, that's the time to get your mouth in gear and begin to pray and begin to say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Holy Spirit, overcome me with your power and your ability. Pray in the Spirit. Pray for God's anointing. Pray for God's ability to resist that temptation. But what we do sometimes is we just think. We try and outthink and try and not think about that temptation. That doesn't work. That's like fighting the, an alligator in the, in, in, the, in the water. You're in his territory. Don't fight an alligator in the, in the water. And don't fight the enemy by trying to outthink him or to stop thinking about that. No. Use the most powerful weapon you have the words of your mouth, the word of God, get that in gear and pray and ask the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. And you will have victory over that flesh and over the enemy. Okay, last thing. I know we're running a little late here, but last thing I want to talk about, and that is avoiding foolish discussions. Last two verses, he talks about, he says, man... Avoid 
How can you avoid godless and foolish discussion? How many of you have ever been in a godless, foolish discussion with somebody? Who? And you, you cannot win for losing. Y'all, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? Two things that I've learned to look for. First of all, timing. Timing. Is the Lord calling us? That's not the trumpet of God, is it? I think it may be a cell phone. (laughs) Timing is important. The enemy will try and put people to suck the life out of you at critical times. Right before something important is about to happen, right after something important has happened. Learn to walk away. One of the worst experiences I ever had in church was right after I preached. We were over on Valhai Boulevard, and a lady walked up to me. I just finished preaching, and this is when we were having three services, and I'd finished the last service, the 11 o'clock service, and I was whooped, tired, and, and she walked up to me, and she wanted to argue about using the King James Version of the Bible. And I said, ma'am, I said, I really can't get into this right now. You know, this is, first of all, you know, when you're tired, you don't have the patience level that you should have. And I don't have a lot anyway. Even when I'm rested and well, I don't have a lot of patience. So I was at my bottom of the bottom of the bottom. And so she just would not leave it alone. So I turned around and thought, just, I can't do this. So I turned around to walk away and she grabbed me. Both hands grabbed me and pulled me back and then wanted to confront me and say, you're going to talk with me about this. Thank you, Jesus, that I did not hit her. Thank you, Jesus. But as she, when she did that, it just hit me the timing. This is the enemy. Enemy is using her, trying to get me to do something stupid like hit her. <laughs> I've never hit a woman, so I wouldn't do that. But, I, you know, I wanted to just let her have it. But I just calmed down, looked around. I found her husband, and I motioned for him to come over. <laughs> and I put my arm around him, and I said, your, your wife is talking to me about this, and would you mind handling this? And, and I just walked off real quick. Kind of got him between, you know, me and her, and I took off. Um, but I, again, I thought of the timing. And I just want to ca- caution you. Be aware of the timing of the enemy. You know, 
He will cause you to do foolish and crazy and get you to say stupid things and have arguments as husband and wife at the worst times. Avoid foolish, harmful, godless discussions. It's no fruit. And the second thing, besides timing, always be aware when you're talking with someone who doesn't want answers. You will talk with some people and you will come to the sudden realization, this person does not want an answer. And it really doesn't matter what you say. They don't want an answer. They just want to argue. And you are wasting your time and you just feel a life just sucked out of you. Walk away. Walk away. You know, and I I can just see Paul writing this to Timothy because he's probably aware that Timothy has been through some of these situations. He's gotten some of these discussions with some of these false teachers. And it'll discourage you as a young pastor. It'll discourage you with anybody. And he's just trying to say, Timothy, don't bother with it. Because it's the enemy, and he just wants to discourage you. Fight the good fight. Use the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray. Believe God to be your strength. Amen? Let's pray. Stand up. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just raise our hands to you this, this evening. And, Lord, we just acknowledge that we need your strength. These battles are battles we can't fight, we can't win, we don't even know how to win. But, Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask you for your ability, your power, to fight against the flesh, our old nature, and to fight against the enemy who is constantly trying to trip us up, constantly setting up traps that we would fall into them. Lord Jesus, give us your godly wisdom and your, your amazing power of the Holy Spirit to help us. And Lord Jesus, help us to walk in your anointing and your power, filled with the Word of God. We, we reach out and we hunger for your ability, Lord. We praise you and thank you for your good mercy. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Next week, 2 Timothy chapter 1 jumps into a whole new, whole new book. Amen.